that I'm going to qualify right now. Hi, Jennifer. I have a sobriety date of December 2nd, 2017. I just celebrated five years. This isn't the first time I've had five years uh, sober or clean and sober. I had nine years um, and I didn't have any program. So I basically white knuckled it for nine years because I'm one of those scary alcoholics that because alcohol didn't bring me to my knees. I think that alcohol is not, I'm not an alcoholic because I did a lot of dry goods. So for me, because alcohol was never my quote unquote drug of choice, after nine years of staying clean and sober and white knuckling it, a drink came across me and I, I said, I can do it this time. And I had a, my 14 year old daughter look crying at me and say, mom, don't do it, don't do it. And I took that drink and uh, six years later, one more time, I lost my freedom. See, I was introduced to this program back in 1995 when I had a, gave birth to a, a baby, that baby girl, the 14 year old, and she was taken from me due to my isms. Because I didn't know that there was places like sober livings or any kind of 12 step groups at that time. I was pretty young and I was living on the streets. I had a really sick pregnancy. I, I don't know how to stop when I'm pregnant. I, I don't know how to do anything, obviously, because I ended up in AA. But um, so that when I got sober in 1995, after that child was taken, um, I went into a sober living house and I had no idea they even existed. And I stayed so clean and sober for four years. I got the child back, I got the job, I got the car. Um, and once I had everything back, my, I listened to my head one more time that says, well, you could smoke some weed, right? Mm. And one more time, here I go, smoke that weed, take that drink, and, and, and I'm off and running one more time. When what happens? I lose the kids, I, uh, and, and I end up incarcerated. Because when I'm um, ripping and running, I am not a, uh, what do you call it, a, a responsible citizen. I am a threat to the community, as they, they told me in the courthouse. Um, so this time around, I, my uh, son at the time, he's nine years old, I'm lit, had my own place. See, the difference between this time and the last time was when I got sober the last time, I was in the streets. This time I had my own apartment, I had a job, I had a car, so I had things to lose. And um, they raided my house because my son told his teacher, my mom goes out and steals people's mail. And um, this was uh, year 2000, and they came and raided my house, and I took my little girl, and, and I, I wasn't home, and I, I went on the run with my little girl, and I checked myself into a hotel, and then I called the old sober living I went to, because I remember thinking, man, all these people, they go to court, with their sober living representative and they slap them on the head and they release them to the sober living house. Well, that doesn't happen to me because nothing like that good ever happens to me. I'm, in the, I'm sitting in the courthouse and they came and arrested me on the spot, put me in the back of the car with my, my daughter. She was six at the time. They drop her off at DCFS in Downey and they take me to jail. And um, one more time, I'm, I, you know, I'm in jail. I don't know where my kids are at and I'm there for literally three days. They didn't have anything on me. They released me, and I had, and there it was. I rip and run time. There I am, no responsibilities, and that's where it got really bad. And being homeless, running amok, doing things like that. And what do I do? Um, I get busted, and 
I was pregnant with my son, who my son's usually hanging out with me at these meetings, but I came straight here from work. But anyway, I was pregnant with my son, and he and uh, his dad's a married man. And um, I go to jail, and and uh, they offer me, I don't, if you guys, a county lid at the time. And at the time, you were doing nine months and twenty days on a county lid. And um, and I was pregnant, and I remember some girl telling me, hey, look where I'm going. It's a place called Family Foundations. Family Foundations was a one-year prison program where you could, if you're pregnant, you could go and you could have your baby. It was technically a, a mother-infant program rehab. And I, and it's a, it was a year, and um, so I went to court and I said, look, I would like to, uh, I would like to go here and I'll take a prison program. And, and this time around, I go to this uh, family foundations and I have my son and my son was born in a prison program and his dad said well it's better to be born in prison than to die in one right <laughs> but um so as I uh, did my year there and you know my mom's been tired of my stuff for many years and I did, really didn't know where I was going to parole to and um, there was a, a sober a place called Walden House it's in Almani and they take parolees and they came to the the prison program and they said you know they advocated for themselves and I said you know what I have nowhere to go what am I gonna do so I I asked them and they they came and picked me up the day I paroled and I went to Walden House and I stayed there for 16 months in treatment it was a treatment program uh, they let me have two kids there my my two my son and my daughter who were taken from me my uh, they let my daughter come back with me and that was my first time where I um, where I managed to scrape up those nine years and by the time and um and I, like i said they did i didn't get back in program i i knew about program but i didn't have any facts about my disease until i relapsed after that nine years and one more time i'm in front of the same judge that had um sentenced me to that prison program and this time i'm 49 years old and the judge looked at me and said what is wrong with you? And my my 75-year-old mother's in the audience. He goes, where are your kids? And I put my head down and he goes, is that your mother? <laughs> I, go, I go, yeah. And he goes, looked at her and goes, what are we gonna do with her? Do you think she's worth saving, you know? So they sent me to Prototypes in Pomona and my judge was Judge Tynan. He's the judge that, um, he was the Richard Ramirez's uh, judge back. He was the one on the news and all that. So he had he had a real uh, heart for people with addiction problems. because He knows the 12 step works. So I go to prototypes and um, and I did a six month drug court pro program, a six more month after uh, outpatient and six months of aftercare. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done is that drug court. But I did it. I got off. Um, probation early I, I 18 months I finished the program I paid everything and I, I uh, lived in sober living I, I've only been out of sober living for the past year I managed a sober living um, I got to, I jumped two feet into this program and the reason I say I'm a dangerous alcoholic because my head wants to say see I had to learn that I suffer from alcoholism whether or not alcohol was my drug of cho choice doesn't it doesn't matter if I take a drink today I will get. I will be bound to be on my drug of choice. It's just a matter of time. I'm allergic to drugs and alcohol. I put one in, forget it. I'm. I'm not one of those people that can just you know drink on the weekends. I think I can. My head tells me I can, 
and you know this big piece of meat between my ears right here is the biggest liar on the planet and 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 i always fall for it and and i can honestly say this time around with this five years i am two i am five years in recovery i have recovered from a hopelessly se seeming state of mind and body um i do a, i have a lot of sponsees that i sponsor i don't ever say no to an AA request. I, I met my sponsor, Elizabeth, you know, we were, I was, I had just kind of let my sponsor go and we were at the women's retreat and we were sitting at the same table together. And I'm, I'm looking for a sponsor and the whole time she was sitting next to me because she's everything I'm not. And that, and I'm always uh, that prickly cactus. I'm not one that doesn't, you know, I, I'm very, uh, you know, stay away, don't hug me, this kind of person. And there's this woman who's just so loving and just so open arms and, and under all these things. And, and they say that you want to look for a sponsor to, so you, cause you want what they have. And, um, you know, when I met Elizabeth, I had a daughter who didn't talk to me for two years. And I literally did a six month four step with this woman on my daughter. And today my daughter talks to me. All my children talk to me today. Um, I have a, I have, um, I used to avoid my family. Now I'm a. Uh, okay, I used to avoid my family, and now um, I'm knee deep in my family. Uh, my mother, who has Alzheimer's and dementia, she was uh, scammed by a contractor, a shady contractor, back in May, and they took her for all her savings, about hundred forty thousand dollars, and pretty much ruined her beautiful house in Torrance. And you know, today I, I was able to. Um, do the necessary things to file complaints with and elder abuse cases and California Board of Contractors and all these things and brought uh, me and my siblings together and we were able to get pick up a check yesterday for $125,000 to get back to my mother that she lost. And these are all things because of the program and um, you know, I used to think, you know, all the fraudulent crap I used to do, you know, all that internet skills came to work when I when I had to help my mom. So when they say that your character defects end up being part of your, uh, you know, your assets, um, I, you know, I, I never, how do I say, I always think less of myself because I'm, I'm that, you know, that, um, that person that never really made anything of, her, of my life, but that's not true. And, and my sponsor's helping me to realize that I am worth loving and I am worth saving. And, and if it wasn't for her peeling back that onion and, you know, um, Sometimes I'm talking to my kids too much. It's like, what, what, can you leave me alone for 10 seconds? But I know this is, this is all the things I pray for. I know this is not my doing. This is my higher power, my God's doing. Um, you know, I, and I had a problem finding um, God when I came in here. And my best friend Dale had passed away in uh, 2018, like a month after I got busted. And I used to pray to Dale. I'd be like, Dale, that was, he was my higher power for a long time because Dale would make things happen. And I still joke about it, you know, and now I just call it God. But um, the whole point of this program is so I can find a God of my understanding and that I can depend on that God. And now my job is to help other alcoholics understand their disease, get them into that book, because become the book, read the book, because I may be the only big book someone ever sees. And I absolutely believe that because guess my way doesn't work. My way. I will leave here and go to the liquor store and I'll get a beer. That's my way. So if I continue to do things the, the way I'm taught here in Alcoholics Anonymous, 
because I don't know anything. So I come in here willing, surrender, and just get out of my own way. My life's pretty good. Thank you for letting me share. All right. And now, is it your? Now it's. A, I'd like to introduce Elizabeth. She's my beautiful sponsor. Thank you. Thank you, That is a very, very, very hard act to follow because you know she is who she is. She's real. And what a privilege! Uh, what a privilege to sponsor someone who has so many sponsees and such a love for this program. And I just feel so very, very fortunate. And uh, the God of my understanding, I'm Elizabeth and I'm an alcoholic. The God of my understanding has a real sense of humor because I go to meetings like you're supposed to and I'll just sit there and out of a nowhere, somebody will come sit down next to me and say, you're supposed to have a sponsor, right? And I'll say yes. And then, well, then you, will you be my sponsor? And that's happened more than once. And it's just the most amazing thing because um, I too, just like Jennifer, believe that the only way is surrender, total surrender. And that if somebody asks me to do something, I'm just so grateful that Les asked me to be here tonight Les uh, has just been a significant per person in our lives. Let's give him a great big hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I talked to my sponsor about an hour or so ago and said, you know, what would you have me to do? And she said, always remember, just tell what happened, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Just share your experience, strength, and hope. Well, um, what it was like, uh, try to imagine a seven-year-old and she's lying in bed and she doesn't understand. Uh, the reason she doesn't understand is because both mom and dad are alcoholics and there's no stability and mom stays up all night and drinks all night and you never know whether or not you're just lying in bed and somebody comes and pulls your hair up by the your hair and says, you did so-and-so and you did such-and-such. Such. So at age seven, I figured out, you know what? Telling the truth just doesn't work for me. So I think I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just get to be a really good liar. And so I also decided when I was 12, that because I didn't have shoes and cashmere sweaters like all the other girls did, that the best thing to do was to be self-sufficient and go get a job. So at age 12, I went and got a job at a gift shop, putting the stock up and meeting with, you know, the different customers. And so I'd go to school and then I'd go to the job. And, you know, the reality of it is I, I probably didn't really have a childhood. And part of the thing that was so hard about it is that at age 12, my mother called me aside one morning and she said, I got a secret that I want you to keep. Your father's been unfaithful to me and you're going to have a brother, but your brother has a sister that is by some other woman, but you're not allowed to tell anybody. And you know, when we are called to keep secrets at little kids, it just does something inside of us. 
And when we grow up in an alcoholic home where there's no mother or father to lean on, bad things happen to us because there's no protection. And so there were a lot of things that happened in childhood. And one of the things that was hard for me, and you know, I stand up here and I may look like somebody who has some confidence and, and Jen's so sweet about saying that, you know, I have what she wants. I moved 35 times in my life. My father, because of his alcoholism, if things got a little bit hot, time to move. And that meant that I had to give away friends and start all over again. And I did that time after time after time. So was it any wonder that when I got to be 19, believe it or not, it was time for me to start college. My parents decided that my dad was gonna take a new job in Tennessee and they left me with our neighbors. And so I started college a living in a family that I didn't even know that well. So, you know, when what I thought was Mr. Wright came along, well, I went to college for about a year and three months, and then it just seemed to me that the best thing to do was to marry Mr. Wright. And of course, what I didn't realize, but I think many, many of you women out here know that if you're sitting in a room and it's boys and girls, you're gonna find that alcoholic man immediately. <laughs> you're just gonna be drawn to him. So that's what happened. I married somebody who was an alcoholic and within six months I realized he not only was an alcoholic, but he was a rageaholic. And I also found out that he was abusive. But because I was not ever taught during childhood to defend myself, or that I deserve better, I took it for many, many, many years. And so um, my mother, when I was 26, decided she wanted to become someone who was gonna be a part of an organization called Alcoholics Anonymous. And so she came to Alcoholics Anonymous on April 1st so that in the event that it didn't work, she could tell everybody it was just April Fools anyway. So she had been going to a psychiatrist and it was odd because the AA meeting was right down the hall. And so she always laughed with the psychiatrist that she just didn't know which door to go through. So she started AA on April the 1st. On June 21st, we got the news that my brother committed suicide. Everyone, everyone said she'll go out. Everyone said she's gonna drink again. Everyone said he committed suicide. He probably wasn't, you know, all that smart a kid anyway. But the truth of it was, my brother had gotten a full scholarship to Navy turned it down so he could marry his childhood sweetheart. And he got an engineering degree and he helped design the Polaris missile sub. He was a really bright kid, but he also was the scapegoat in an alcoholic family. Maybe some of you can relate to that. The scapegoat is the kid who makes everybody look like we're okay. He was the captain of the football team. He was just everything. And because my dad was what we call a back walking away, never there for me, 
I absolutely worshipped him. So when I got the telephone call from my dad saying that my brother had committed suicide, that was the beginning of my real drinking. I had to find some way to calm that pain down because he had been the guidepost that had always done it right. He'd always had friends. He was popular. He was the president of Highway. I was nothing. I was a kid with, you know, glasses and a broken front tooth that nobody could fix because there was no money to do that. And so I drank and I drank and I drank some more. And then about 10 years later, um, I had been blessed with two children and I came to a point where I was having an affair with someone and they nearly died in my arms and it was alcohol related. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time and I need to stop drinking. And so I did stop drinking. I became a religious fundamentalist. I taught three Bible studies. Talk about white knuckle. I couldn't figure out why I kept recycling. I kept getting angry. I kept angry at you. I got angry at me. I didn't have a program, and I did that for 19 years. I really mean this. If Just like Jen, you go through a period where you're white-knuckling it, you're doomed. I was doomed. I was doomed to drink again. 19 years later, my daughter had become pregnant. My youngest daughter, who I had adopted, she was hearing impaired, and she... I uh, was going to be the poster child for adopted children. And I found out that she was pregnant. I was heartbroken. What the heck? I was a religious fundamentalist. Everything was going to work out fine, right? And somebody said to me, you know what? One drink is going to make you feel so relaxed. You're going to feel wonderful. And all this pain you're suffering, guess what? That's going to be nothing. So I took that one drink. And you know what? I then found out just how my body absorbs alcohol. Within four months, and by this time I was a school teacher. Can you believe it? I was in charge of 37 kids. And I would go home at night, and I had a bottle right by my bedside. And, you know, I would drink myself to sleep. It was that quick that my alcoholism came back and got me. And I stand here before you saying that as far as I'm concerned, I had to learn that alcohol can never get into my system again. But the God of my understanding, remember that one that always has a sense of humor? Well, it was picture day. And I was on my way to go have my picture taken at school and I'd been drinking that night, uh, and, and I had on this lavender dress, and I just thought I was hot stuff, and the last thing I wanted to do was put on a seatbelt. And so what did I do? I'm driving to school, and somebody stopped right in front of me, and I stopped, and I patted myself in the back, and I said, good girl, you didn't rear, I got that far. And somebody rear-ended me, I was in a Mazda Miata, it hit me from behind, I torqued, 
I went out into oncoming traffic. I was hit by a Cadillac and went into a tree. To this day, I can remember the feeling of that steering wheel on my chest. And you know what? That's God's signal to me. Never drink again. If I would even think of a drink, I feel that steering wheel right on the chest again. Well, I ended up losing the use of my arm for two years, and the most wonderful thing happened. I came into program. And when I had the surgery that was eight hours long to take two of my vertebrae out and put two new ones in, and I couldn't use my arm, because I had decided there was an Eskimo, there was a guy who lived in a condo right next door to where I was, and you know what? It just so happened he went to this place called AA. <laughs> and, and, he, and when he found out about my accident, he said, you know what, Elizabeth, I'd love for you to go to a meeting. I said, oh, thanks, John, that's very nice of you, and I wasn't sure he wasn't hitting on me. And because by that time I was separated from my husband. I mean, you talk about a life that was unmanageable. But my real Eskimo was my son. My son had attempted suicide years before. So not only did I lose my brother by suicide, three of my nephews attempted suicide. I stood at the bedside of my son, not knowing if he would live or die. Suicide and alcoholism are legacies in my family. Depression is a part of where my legacy of my family. And so it was my son who said, you know, Mom, I'm going to an AA meeting on Saturday. Would you like to join me? So I did. And I've been going ever since. And I am so grateful for the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think very often um, people leave out the, you know, there's a drunk club, and they live out, they leave out the part about what it's like now. Well, I can't leave that out because I have received a life beyond my wildest dreams. I got a master's degree. I became a school teacher. I was trained in expressive arts therapy. I can identify people with a, a depression. I'm able to help people with depression. I work with cancer patients. I work with people. Not everybody gets over COVID. I work with long COVID patients who can't breathe, who can't have hope. And I get to work for a hospital, but who do I work with? Well, that's a story unto itself. I got trained in this expressive arts uh, process, and I got asked if I'd like to go teach that on cruise ships. Well, who doesn't want to go on cruise ships? <laughs> and besides that, I had, um, I had uh, developed a studio of my own. I have an art studio that's now 28 years old, and I was invited to go teach these classes on cruise ships. And I had a fabulous time. And I got to be a presenter and a keynote speaker, and I traveled. It was always with sober uh, alcoholics. And we would go on these cruise 
trips and stuff, and I went all over the world. I went to Australia, I went to Italy, I went to Paris, you name it. Who would have ever thought I, who had to work from the time she was 12 years old just to have shoes, could have that kind of a wonderful experience? Well, I went on this trip to the Caribbean, and I was being the hostess at the hostess table, and I was checking everybody in, and this guy walked up, and he said, I understand you're the uh, resident artist. And he said, I'm a scientist. I don't know very much about art at all. But he said, I, I lease my apartment from a guy who is an artist, and he's always making fun of me because I don't know a thing about art. So maybe you could clue me in on some things about art so when I get back home, I can talk to him about it. Well, you know, there was just something I really liked about this guy. I can't explain it to you. We met on that cruise. We talked till two o'clock in the morning about the scripture, be still and know that I am God. I felt safe. I felt so safe that I was able to tell him, look, I've been divorced. I got married at 19. I don't trust men. I've gone to CODA, I've gone to Al-Anon, I've gone to ACA, I'm a scaredy cat. And so, if this evolves into anything, we're gonna have to do it God's way. Ultimately, we met on February 17th, we got engaged on April the 11th, <laughs> we, we got married on August 5th, and trust me, we did it God's way. <laughs> it didn't matter that we were over 60. God's way is God's way. And he cared so much about me. He said, if doing it God's way is the way that I can win your heart, that's what I want. And I'm here to tell you that we have had 17 years of the most wonderful life together. It has not, not had its ups and downs. I remember being in a meeting and a guy said to me, you know, I'm so glad I came into the rooms before the bad things happened. Remember that little girl that I adopted who was four and a half, who was hearing impaired, who'd been in four homes in four years and who, because I'd moved so often, I thought I could help her. She became addicted to meth she became addicted to alcohol. Presently, she is now still trying to become sober. I think it's important to talk about the family after because I developed a resentment against people who said, well, I'm alcoholic and now I'm in great shape with my kids. My kids love me and I love my kids. And guess what? That didn't happen for me. It still hasn't happened. I've had to set boundaries because now that she is attempting to become sober, her whole sense of life is that if I had never adopted her, she would have been just fine. And so I had to take hard steps and say, when you can respect me, when you can come to a conclusion that we can be kind to each other, we will be in touch with each other again. That was so hard for me.
In the meantime, my oldest daughter has also estranged herself from me. She became a psychologist and she came to the conclusion that had it not been for me, that she would have been fine. And you know what? God, the God of my understanding, Jesus Christ, had a plan that I would have never been able to tell you about. I have a sponsee and she just celebrated five years. Her mother and her father died of cancer when she was in her 20s. She was heartbroken because she wanted someone to be grandparents for her children. And guess what? Rob and I are the grandparents for two children now. They are our grandchildren in love. God has a way of compensating. That doesn't mean I love my two daughters less. I just know that it's exactly like Chuck C. said. It's none of my business what anybody else thinks of me. What my job is to do one day at a time, my job is to do the best I can to be of maximum service to my fellow man. My job is to get up in the morning, do my morning meditation, and then just ask God what he would have me to do. Right now, it's a very tough time. I've had the three sponsors in the 29 years that I've been sober. My first sponsor, I nurtured as she died of ovarian cancer. I had experience in expressive arts. I work with cancer patients and I was able to be her hospice worker. I then had another sponsor. Some of you may have known Barbara E. Barbara E. was an amazing person, and Barbara ultimately died of COPD. I was right there with her as she died. I was her hospice worker. And when it came time, because I do believe in sponsorship, and I believe that we must never go without a sponsor. I tried it for one year. It was a disaster. <laughs> It was just such a stupid thing for me to do, but you know, it was, oh, well, if my sponsors are going to die, then I'll do it on my own. I made the biggest mess. I didn't drink, but I may just as well have. As it turned out, I asked another woman if she would be my sponsor, and she said, are you the black widow of sponsees? <laughs> she had a good, and I said, well, I'll try not to be. She's been my sponsor for 18 years. And last Tuesday, she had a five and a half hour surgery for bladder cancer. And I don't know what that uh, outcome is going to be. I only know that she has guided my life in beautiful ways. She had what I wanted. And the life that I have today is absolutely incredible. Um, I guess the best thing I can say is that I'm a painter. I get to look for beauty and I'm supported in my painting by my husband. This man will go anywhere to help support me with what I do. 
He's my IT electronics man at the hospital, and together we help post-COVID patients. And the most important thing that we can do is allow the God of our understanding to help us be of maximum service to our fellow man in a condition that nobody understands. I don't know if any of you have relatives, friends, or know what post-COVID is, but post-COVID, one out of five people who get COVID develop post-COVID. Post-COVID is when your respiratory system may not work properly, maybe your gastric system doesn't work properly. Maybe you have brain fog and memory problems like you've never had before. And so it's very, very troubling. And many people don't recognize it. In fact, some doctors, particularly at the beginning of COVID, didn't recognize it. That's still going on. And so we designed a program and we presented it to Pomona Valley Hospital. It took six months for them to approve it and have it go through all the hoops. And starting, it'll be a year, February 10th, that we have been meeting one time a week from Pomona Valley Hospital, both hybrid, in person, and on Zoom. And consequently, we are able to do what? to give people hope. Because when your brain doesn't work right and your gastric system's all messed up and nobody believes, everybody thinks you're faking it, more than anything, I learned in these rooms that I needed to be sunshine. The big book says we are not a glum lot. Isn't that true? We're supposed to give people hope we are allowed to let people understand that what is, is. I had to accept my alcoholism. I had to forgive my parents. I had to forgive my former husband. I've had to do all kinds of, I can't tell you how many four steps I've done. Above all, the thing that I know that means so much, and each and every one of you tonight are being a part of my sobriety. I look out and I see your faces. I see your smiles. I see you nod when I say something. It's the most amazing experience in the world to be able to have something to give, to go from feeling totally worthless to being someone who has something to say that will calm the hearts of someone else because we all know and love and understand the language of the heart. And I just want to thank each and every one of you. I always like to stop just a few minutes early. You know why? Because I know you have families to go home to, you have other things to do. And I feel like the most wonderful thing we could do right now is just take a moment of silence be still together and celebrate the sobriety that each and every one of us have been given.
And so it is. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Yeah. I'm less alcoholic. Let's give Elizabeth and Jennifer a hand for a great yeah. meeting. And uh, let's give Carlo a hand for a great cook. And uh, we want to thank everybody for bringing food because we're all part, we could do this deal together and that's what it's all about and uh, if you're new welcome and uh, <clears throat> they told me when I got here sit down and enjoy the ride because it, it's amazing you know uh, I'm a grapevine rep two years 54 bucks one year 26 bucks meeting in a print this is this book here goes for uh, for people that are maybe they can't get to a meeting or way out in uh, in Alaska. I've read so many different stories in the grapevine and they're so inspiring. You just never know where it's going to come from. But this book here, you know, goes to prisons and in uh, hospitals, recovery houses. You could give a subscription to a newcomer. Uh, and we give a give a one out every week and uh, what we like is that you read it and bring it back and we can recycle it this one here's a good one young and sober and free it has a lot of good stories in here and enjoying enjoying life yes sure you come on up and get it of course all right I got another one, Doug. You got another one? Come on up, bring it up. Huh? Ten, uh, ten return one. Okay, bring it up. Okay. <clears throat> there you go. Got everybody reading. Seniors in AA. All right. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> torn apart. All right, the steps and traditions. Don't do it. After years of alcoholism and traumas, she's done the work and living a good life, and she's only 90. <laughs> now, do I have a senior out there that needs this? Come on up. Wait a minute now. Hey, no, sit down. Oh, here's this man now. He needs it because he's got a grapevine meeting on Thursdays. Thursday at six o'clock. It's called "Heard It Through the Grapevine." We read the grape a story out of the grapevine, and we all get a share. So, if you're ever in San Dimas, off of Foothill and San Dimas Avenue, uh, Foothill Vineyard Church at six p.m. Great grapevine meeting. Come and join me. When are you going to we'll, bring some back? And we'll read a story. <laughs> when are you going to bring some back? I'll see you Wednesday. Okay. I'll be looking for it. All right, we have a phone list here. If, if you need some help, grab a phone list because you never know that that thousand pound phone will save your life. You know, you just have to pick it up. You know, that when all else fails, pick up the phone. Talk to another alcoholic. Neil, happy birthday. It's always a pleasure to see you. I'm glad you're here. You know, happy birthday. So we need a lot of help cleaning up. So if you want to help with us afterwards, and we always need uh, <clears throat> we need help setting up before the meeting, and we need help uh, 
with uh, birthday cards and stuff like that. So if you want to get involved in this meeting, come see me or Fernando after the meeting. And with that, uh, where's where's our book here? Oh. <clears throat> come on, come on up here and read that. Read the okay. the promises and praise out of here. Uh. Uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Fernando. This man does a lot of work. Let's give him thank a hand. You. Yeah, thank you, family. And thank you. Boy, that was a great talk. Jennifer and Rob, Isabel, Elizabeth. Fernando Alcoholic, the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations we used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. After a moment of silence for those who still suffer in and out of these rooms, and the children caught a crossfire and the family afterwards. Please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You come that back at work. Excuse me, I burped. Oh.